0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things
1: friendship with God, friendship with one another,
2: and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First,
1: please visit OKCFirst.com. Our gospel reading this evening comes from Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 through 21. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is the word of the Lord.
2: I always enjoy and find it meaningful to be your pastor, but there is something about the season of Lent. I think it has something to do with the fact that while I am your pastor, during the season of Lent, I'm a fellow traveler, for sure. I'm going to ask you the same questions that I'm asking of myself. You need to know that because these questions are difficult, so here they come. Have you considered yet that you're a sinner? Have you considered the possibility that your sin is of such a nature that you're not actually able to get over it yourself? Have you considered the possibility that you have a sin problem? I do as well. That if left unattended could somehow lead you into a very dark and dangerous and destructive, deathly place, left unattended. Have you considered that the only way to avoid that deathly, dark, and destructive place is to, one, acknowledge that you are in fact a sinner, that I am in fact a sinner. Two, it is to acknowledge that the sin problem that I have is so deep and has such a tight grip on me, my heart, my mind, my imagination, my habits, that the only hope I have is to lean into a God who's going to work harder on me than I will work on myself. The season of Lent, 40 days, 40 days, meant to remind us of the time that Jesus spent in the desert or in the wilderness, in a desolate place, confronting the temptations that would have, left unattended, cost him his calling and his ministry. You and I get to take a similar journey. 40 days excluding Sundays, 40 days from today we'll be celebrating Easter Sunday morning in the resurrection. Between now and then, there is work to be done and God will do a lot of it, but you and I have to do a bunch of it as well. Are we prepared to do this work? I can promise you this. <laughs> How many times do you get to hear this? You will get out of this season what you put into this season. If you decide that this is somebody else's issue, that you don't have to worry about it, then you will come on Easter Sunday morning, and I promise you're going to love the music. (laughs) You'll love how everybody's kind of dressed up. But you will not have the same kind of celebratory joy and relief And this this deep immersion in grace that the rest of us will have who have spent 40 days trudging up to the mirror looking again saying, oh God, I need you. Oh God, I need you. But man, if you will put that kind of work in over the next 40 days, if you and I can somehow summon the courage to ask God to look at us and really see what there is to see, to point out what needs to be pointed out, that falls short of God's calling on our lives. If you and I can, over this period of, of this, this 40 days of Lent, if we can actually follow through as best we can on our Lenten practices to deny ourselves, to practice denying ourselves. Man, Easter, it, it just feels a little bit more. It, it is a little bit more of a celebration. It, it is just different. Join us, I hope you will, on this journey. Now, I need to warn you, I have a terrible, awful, cringeworthy metaphor tonight. Amen? All right. That's some of my favorites. <laughs> Has anybody ever seen this movie? It's awful. <laughs> and I don't mean it's done poorly. It's not. It's, it's actually a movie that's done pretty well. In fact, it's done so well that it is cringeworthy. It is about a guy by the name of Aaron Ralston, a climber, a hiker. Liked to kind of go do his own thing, actually. like to go walk out into the mountains and explore and climb and all that kind of stuff. And, and he was doing this this particular day when an accident happened. Now, let me kind of explain the metaphor. Here's what I'm going to say throughout the sermon tonight. The wilderness is representative. The wilderness is representative of the places that we go when we are self absorbed, when we are self preoccupied. The wilderness is where our Christianity is at risk. We too face all of the temptations. The wilderness, sometimes it's a wilderness of my own making, by the way. The wilderness is when we are most at risk. 127 hours, he was stuck there. 127 hours to go over and over again, all of the decisions that he had made (laughs) that got him into that predicament in the first place. 127 hours to do the math. What is more likely to happen? What should I do? How badly do I want to get home? 127 hours. Please don't forget the metaphor. (laughs) Now, I will tell you that he at one point, it's a poignant moment, he at one point really is having the internal conversation, this internal struggle, and he really does recognize that he's going to have to make a decision. Am I going to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed to get home, or will I die here? Remember, it's a metaphor, but I want to ask you a similar question. Those of us, me included, that find ourselves in a wilderness of our own making, a wilderness that is made and built every time we choose ourselves or we are preoccupied with ourselves. I have a question for us, similar to the one that he had to answer. Are we willing to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice to get home? Or will we die in that wilderness of our own making? He (laughs) makes A cringy decision to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed to get home. Now, some of you know what he does. It's awful. Though Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, you know, you cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, you pluck it out. I want you to know that I am not advocating that you should amputate any part of your body. Amen. Not what I'm saying. But I do believe that sacrifice will be required if you're going to get out of this wilderness and get all the way home. Almost certainly, you and I will have to give something, let go of something, sacrifice something if God is ever going to reach us during the season of Lent and rescue us from this wilderness experience, from isolation, from desolation. Now, remember, When we sacrifice, whether that be the sacrifices of praise on a Sunday morning, or sacrificing coffee or chocolate or something else during Lent, we still aren't changing God's mind about us. God's mind about us is made up, and the news is good. That part is set. Sacrifices don't change God, they do change us, however. In the process of sacrificing, we are shaped. That's the way it's always been. It wasn't that God had a taste for spotless lambs. It's that the people who had, to, like us had to learn to loosen our grip on spotless lambs and all the status that comes with them. And that's the message of Lent. More than any other time of year during Lent, we come face-to-face with our self-preoccupation, our tendencies towards self-preservation at all costs, self-obsession, self preference. We acknowledge that we have the awful tendency to walk into a lonely wilderness of our own making, to live lives that are disconnected, isolated, desolate. I love the song, Tamara. I think you've been able, again, to put to words and to music. So I believe you call those lyrics. What people suffer and feel and experience as they construct the wilderness of their own making. Thank you, Jason, for reading these verses. The verses in Matthew 6 that he read today are part of a larger portion of Scripture, and everybody knows this. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And like we said this past Sunday, in worship, God shapes our imagination so we know where we are headed. So also in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a lot of painting. There are a lot of pictures painted in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom as it is, and the kingdom as it should be. And perhaps we'll hear tonight's familiar words more clearly if we can kind of look back and see what's gone before in the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with the beatitude, those blessed statements. And they are not commands, right? You know that, right? God is not saying, you better be poor in spirit. No, that's an observation. It's an observation, description of the new kingdom brought about by the new king for the poor in spirit, for those who mourn, for the meek, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the merciful. Later on, he'll go on to say stuff like this. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. Or if you have heard that it was said, do not, do not commit adultery. But I say. <laughs> but I say. And every time Jesus says, but I say, he takes it out of the realm of the law and puts it back in the realm of love. In fact, he'll say this just a couple of verses later. If you go to church and you're offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that you have a love problem. Not a law problem, but you have a love problem. Leave your gift there at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Fix the love problem, and then come back. It goes on to say, turn the other cheek, craziness. Give to the person who wants to sue you. Walk the second mile. These aren't legal sorts of things. These are loving sorts of things. In fact, he just says it plainly in verse 44, chapter 5, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For if you love those who love you, and everybody can do that, by the way, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Real life is born out not in empty religious ritual. I hope that these aren't empty religious rituals for you tonight. Real faith is born out in love. Real faith is born out in love for one another, which we understand also in Scripture is love for God, love for God equals love for other people. Love for other people is a way that we love God. Verse 48 puts a fine point on it. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Could have been said like this, you will be perfected. And he's talking about love. You will be perfected in your capacity to love as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then come our verses. Everybody see the backdrop is really is kind of law versus love. Empty religious ritual versus love, and authentic relationship. So he says this. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Play actors. Hypocrites actually means play actors. How many times... <laughs> are people at church called hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that one before? I, I've, I've heard it before. Sometimes it's true, isn't it? Sometimes the people at the church can be the least loving people that we know. Doesn't mean they won't come to the altar. Doesn't mean they won't put something in the plate. Doesn't mean that they don't know how to spin a good prayer. Doesn't mean they won't tell you how many things are given up for Lent and fasting. But when there is a lack of love, there you have a lack of Christian faith. There you have sin. So whenever you give, the expectation is that everyone will give in the faith community. Whenever you give, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret. You don't need an audience to do the right thing. This is not about resume building. These practices, giving, giving, Praying, fasting, these are Christian practices. This is stuff that we do. And in doing them, we are shaped to live a particular kind of life meant to embody and make visible the calling, the character, and the care of God. It is at this point that these practices can be and are often supportive of others and of our connections to them. There is a selflessness in these rituals, or at least there should be, They often are the answers to the question, well, what would love do? Well, love prays authentically. Love gives generously. Love fasts privately and secret. But when it is just simply individualistic play acting and deal making, these rituals can be part of a larger, more dangerous problem. Hear this. It is at this point That religious practice itself can be sinful. Pushing me farther and farther away from God and others and deeper into an isolated wilderness of my own making. Motivations matter. If I'm motivated to secure something for myself, whether that be popularity or resume building or my eternal security, wrangling God in the process, then my religion has little or nothing to do with love, little or nothing to do with the other, little or nothing to do with God's call on my life. Later on tonight, we'll take the Eucharist. That too can be wrangled if we're not careful. But when properly understood, the Eucharist can mend fractures between us and God, but also between us or me and somebody else. Around the table, I'm reminded of our commonality, our mutuality, our solidarity, and I'm reminded of God's grace and forgiveness made available to me, which then resources me to make grace and forgiveness available to others. Or, I understand the Eucharist as a deal struck between me and God. I perform (laughs) the ritual, which in my mind then obligates God to relieve me of the consequences of my sins ultimately not only is this self-serving, but it is in fact manipulative and representative of the sin that organizes my life in the worst of ways. The sacraments and our Christian rituals are designed to shape us toward love. They're all designed to shape us toward love, suffering love, sacrificial love, Shaping us for the needs of others. They are not meant to be negotiated deals between me and God or me and a nosy public. So whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, what are you giving up for Lent? Whenever you fast, please try not to look dismal I'm sorry, I just really drug out. I'm giving up all food and water for 40 days. (laughs) Don't look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. But that's all the reward they get. So when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It didn't start with me. It, it started with my mentor who's here tonight, and even before that, that I had professors like Dr. Tastin telling me these things. We understand life and faith around here in relational terms. We believe that terms of relationship can describe everything that has to do with faith. When all of faith is understood in relational terms, then sin takes a particular shape. Sin is not so much a substance, a defect that we are born with but somehow can't be scrubbed off and can only be forgiven by God. Instead, sin is understood as a break in relationship. The distortion or the perversion of relationship In other words, where there is sin There is both a victim And a victimizer A break In what God hopes to be a healthy bond Between God and a person And then it results in a break in the bond Between that person and another person This is why my sin Has the effect of making me more isolated Disconnected Self-consumed Alone Again It's like walking willingly into a dangerous, self-constructed wilderness. Desolation. A great percentage of the conversations I get to have with people around here, over coffee, over lunch, breakfast, dinner, whenever it is, a great percentage of those conversations I have have to do with damaged relationships. Probably not surprised by that. But what we are talking about more often than not is how sin and self-interest interrupt and distort what might otherwise be a good, godly, and healthy connection between two or more people. And while we don't always acknowledge that the distance between people is somehow, or at least might be, representative of a distance between that person and God, it is still often the case. Distance between a person and God, let's just make it more personal, distance between me and God... Distance between you and God inevitably leads to distance between you or me or that person and someone else, maybe everybody else. Wilderness happens when I choose myself over God and everybody else. When I am self-absorbed, self-consumed, bent on securing mine and my own uh, no matter what it costs everybody else, and here's the thing, sometimes that person goes to church and performs all the rituals of faith. But during Lent and in an Ash Wednesday service, I am rehabilitated toward love. Rehabilitated toward love, suffering, sacrificial love, seen most clearly in the life the death and the life of Jesus himself. The hope is this, that at the end of the Lenten project, the end of these 40 days minus Sundays, that I would understand my own motivations and brokenness more clearly, that I would make myself more available to the resources of grace and forgiveness, available in Christ, by the way, and discover and increase my capacity to live and love like Christ, a life of selfless love in all the rooms and situations in which I find Myself. The hope and the goal of Lent is to make us more loving people, not better at avoiding chocolate. Now, selflessness is not self hatred. God doesn't want, and we shouldn't want, a life emptied of dignity or humanity. But God does want and we should aspire to a life emptied of self-preoccupation, self-absorption, self-dealing and self-securing. See Philippians 2 and the Savior who emptied himself of all but love. Yes, you and I, we have the capacity to sin, to disconnect, to isolate tendencies that can leave us in a self-constructed wilderness and that's why we take the ashes on our forehead. To demonstrate that we know this to be true we can be our own worst enemies that left to ourselves our situation is bleak hopeless deathly but the story doesn't have to end there i know it's ash wednesday i know it's the beginning of lent but even tonight there is hope for a better ending. Even tonight, you and I can make the first steps out of the wilderness and into the arms of an understanding God. Even tonight, you can take the first steps out of desolation and back into connection and community and friendship. But first, we must acknowledge that we are lost in this wilderness. We are lost and hopeless in this wilderness without the one who knows us and chooses us anyway. I found a, uh, a story in the news. A man by the name of Gab Song was lost in the wilderness, northwest part of the country, for 48 hours. Now, this is not so cringeworthy. In fact, I want you to try to spot what happens as he emerges from the wilderness. A happy ending today after a missing hiker is found alive several days after getting lost in the woods. 17's Chris Burton reports. Family and
0: friends elated and emotional today after Gab Song was found safe and sound. And when they say he's alive, I just, me and my my buddy Anthony was here too, we were, we literally just started crying. Like I immediately started crying. The 73-year-old went missing after heading out for a hike Tuesday on Mount Pinos in Fraser Park. Search crews and shoppers from multiple law enforcement agencies, including Kern County Sheriff's Office, scoured the Fraser Park area starting Wednesday morning. But in the end, it was a civilian in Lockwood Valley that spotted Song alive, walking, and in great condition. I was preparing for the worst. Um, and so uh, to just kind of uh, yeah, get to a space and just release that. And, uh, I have no words, man. I can't even. Uh, it's an undescribable feeling. And I think I'm just really thankful that my, my dad is alive. And, um, It's still processing, like, how much much love and support we got from so many strangers, too, not just friends and family. After his ordeal, Song declined to speak on camera, but he said he survived by lighting fires at night, and after his food ran out Wednesday by eating snow. All he said so far is it was a terrible time. Friends say he is an experienced in shape hiker, but a storm late Tuesday surprised him as it covered the mountains in fog and later snow. And, <laughs> experienced hikers themselves, the group Song treks with, is grateful to have him back. I just heard that uh, he returned safe, oh, a relief. Oh, glad to hear. Even the search and rescue teams were impressed at how Song looked after two days in the wilderness. Everyone is walking out saying, he's a stud. I was like, all right, that's, I guess, I guess that's my pup, so. But the important part is that Gab was found and is now headed home, safe and sound. In Fraser Park, Chris Burton, 17
2: News. Part of the reason I like doing Lent with all of you, I feel like they're, we're pretty good at rooting for one another. We're pretty good at rooting for one another to finally emerge from the wilderness. I am pulling for you to make it out of your wilderness? Will you pull for me to make it out of my wilderness? Now, as Tamara' saying earlier in the service, some people choose the wilderness. And if you are here tonight and you have chosen the isolation, if you have chosen the desolation, you may just have to risk believing me. Life is better out of the wilderness. Yeah, it feels like a risk. Oh, it is. It's a risk. To exit the wilderness, but life is better outside of the wilderness. And like I said tonight, we can, make our, we can take our first steps to try to emerge from this wilderness of our own making. If you are helping us tonight at all of the different stations, will you go ahead and come down? Let me try to explain to you what's gonna happen. In a moment, I'm going to actually go down the center aisle and I'm going to actually dismiss us by row. So be watching for me, especially those of you on the outside sections. I'm going to go down this center aisle here and dismiss us by row so that we don't have too many people up here at the front at any one time. And what I'd like for you to do is when I get to your row, everybody just kind of come to this center aisle. Everybody come to the center aisle, then make the turn and so slowly make your way toward the cross. Symbolic. Everybody get that? Making your way toward the cross. This will be the first station. And here at this first station, someone's going to take their finger, dip it into this little bit of ash. By the way, this ash has been made from the palm branches that we used last Palm Sunday. Last Palm Sunday, Jason always does such a great job. He burns them, crushes them, and this is what we use for the ash that we mark ourselves to, to actually publicly acknowledge that we have it within us to walk into deathly, desolate, dark places and that we are in need of a Savior. So as you come down front, it will be Averilla and Jason. They will say this to you as they are putting the ash on your forehead. Remember, you are dust." And to dust you will return. You are not going to be able to save yourself, by the way. But the second line you'll hear is this. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is this. You don't have to save yourself. God's ready. God's ready. Once you have received the ashes, we want to make available a couple places for you to pray. If you'd like to pray with Lisa or with Ken, they are here and ready to again anoint you with oil if you would like or to just kind of listen to you and pray with you. After that, you'll see the people on the sides over here, Daniel and Betty over here, and who is it, Mike and Kelly over here, are ready to serve you communion. You, aren't, you don't have to leave here without hope tonight. The tangible expression of grace is available to you tonight in the form of broken body and shed blood. So once you have receive the ashes and once you've had an opportunity to pray I hope that you will go ahead and take communion and then you can do what you like now I like to sit and listen to these folks continue to sing me through the beginning of Lent and sing me through an Ash Wednesday and you're welcome to stay as long as you like but if you need to leave we understand Heavenly Father bless these moments bless all of these elements the bread the cup The oil used for healing, the ash. Somehow, God, as only you can, would you do something with these simple elements that only you can do? Would you remind us that we are, in fact, in a desperate situation, a deathly, dark place? Remind us also, God. In the tangibility of these elements, remind us also that you are here in tangible sorts of ways to help us walk this difficult journey and to lead us out of the wilderness of our own making. So on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, Remember me. Same way he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. If you prefer communion, but in the prepackaged elements, we have those available for you at the back. Emily has those back there at the back. You can just, after you've taken the ash, if you choose to do so, after you've had an opportunity to pray, you can just circle all the way back there to the back. I hope in some ways that this is a very difficult season for us. (laughs) That might mean that we're doing the hard work of confessing the difference between who we are, who Christ is, who we are, and who Christ calls us to be. After receiving the ashes myself, I'll start dismissing us by a rose.